This is the Whole Mind Podcast. We are three therapists who love Jesus and want to encourage and educate you about the mind. We are Grace, Wendy, and Candace. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Whole Mind Podcast. We are so excited to give you guys another episode. So we are tackling the topic of eating disorders today. It is a really, really big topic. It's something that we see pretty regularly in our offices, but also just like in life. So we thought Mm -hmm. it would be important to hop on, maybe chat about it for people who might be struggling with one or even people who know someone in their lives that's going through it. But first, before we get into the big stuff, we always like to do a fun question, just like topic. So today I have a would you rather question for Wendy and Grace. Are you and ladies you. ready? You have to answer it too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. I'll answer it as well. For all three of us, a would you rather question. Ready, ladies? Ready. Uh-huh. All right. So today's big question is. Would you rather perform surgery or fly a commercial plane without any qualifications? No. Uh, I'd rather turn around and leave right now. No. Not answer any questions. Lord, take me. (laughs) Um, Is the commercial plane full of passengers or not? Oh, good question. I'm going to say yes. Well, it's a commercial plane. Like, there's going to be people on it. It might be going for maintenance. (laughs) Anyway. No, there are people might be on going plane. for maintenance. Oh Probably moms with children. I don't know. <laughs> oh, so I w- okay. essentially I'm killing one life or yes. so many other lives on the plane because I'm yes. not going to be able to perform surgery well. So I mean, what kind of surgery? Are, are there other surgeons like? around? I mean, you're in a hospital, so there's going to be nurses. I would think. Is there a co-pilot? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would think, yeah, you're flying it, so there would okay. be a co-pilot. Okay, so that takes some of the, the guarantee off of both of them. I mean, still, you're sitting up there with the schnozzle trying to <laughs> trying to drive this plane. I love the amount of loophole processing that I go through. I'm like, what are the loopholes? <laughs> what are, there are no loopholes with these questions. Oh my God. You know, I think I'd rather do surgery. Hmm. I think that's what I choose. What's your rationale? So not actually not even because it would be one life versus a bunch of lives, but like I feel like not being in the air would help me a lot. <laughs> like there are like a ton of nurses around me, yeah. mm-hmm. first of all, and like I can watch a ton of YouTube videos for whatever Ooh. surgery I'm doing. Like when I was such a weird child, I was really into like maternal medicine when I was a child and like they used to have these TV shows where like you would watch c-sections happen and we didn't have cable when I was a kid so I would watch um what was the show called I forgot what it was called but like they would just not even midwives it was like a show where it was only like um maternal emergencies so I watched a ton of c-sections over and over and over oh, again amazing yeah and by the time so that why I didn't you like, go into OB I know right I don't know <laughs> <laughs> I like really really liked it I love it I could actually see being a good OB though oh, like I don't thanks. know about your medical side but like I could see it. I'm leaving anyway. counseling everyone I'm going to OB <laughs> Um, but I like, mean, the confidence it, is there. I can do it. But, like, if you watch something enough times, like, obviously I'll still freak out, but, like, yeah. I'll feel less like I'm definitely going to kill this person. Like, I've seen this before, yeah. and I have a lot of nurses. Hmm. I That's think I, I might have to agree with you, partially from you saying that, but also 
I, I'm more aware with the human anatomy than I am with an airplane. That's true, yeah. <laughs> like, I know where, generally, where the appendix is. So let's say I'm doing appendicitis, like, I probably make a decision in the lower right quadrant. <laughs> like, rather than, like, in an airplane, like, I don't what even know do? what these things are, and I have no idea what they do. So, hmm. I don't know. I think that's where, like, for, I, yeah, I think I'd have more knowledge so mm. that person might stand a chance for that. <laughs> I'm so uncomfortable. I don't have a, a, do, a med degree. <laughs> I'm not a doctor. You got this. That's like you saying, don't have a, a that, that's like saying go counsel someone where you've never had any sort of instruction. <laughs> that would be extremely stressful. Yeah. I'd be more comfortable with that than like. Well, yeah, because it's not life <laughs> They might not get the best service, but right. they're, they're not going to die unless, well. <laughs> That would be a sociopath therapist that's doing that. So what is it, Grace? I would like to say pass. <laughs> you may not say pass. You cannot. I'm going to choose uh, the surgery. Oh. <laughs> Grace Literally hates surgery. it. Oh. I hate all things medical. I'm sorry to everyone that loves that, but like... Um, so why surgery then? Because I'm essentially, possibly... It sounds a little more ethical to be damaging one life versus, like, I don't know how many people are on a plane, 50? Mm. So, and I don't have confidence in my surgery skills because I'm not trained. <laughs> Disclaimer, we are not we surgeons. We are not trained surgeons, <laughs> but we could be. I don't. <laughs> if you go through this proper schooling and requirements, yes. We're I took do this it. too seriously. Mm. But that's my answer, and I feel wonderful about it. I can tell. <laughs> All right. Well, now that that's out of the way. Now that we've had that fun. We're going to be talking about neither surgery or flying. <laughs> so, back disorders. To. Back to the topic of the day. So, kind of like we had mentioned, this is a really big topic in our world, but there's actually a ton of misconceptions that come from it. I feel like some of these like come from media. Like, I don't know, we've all seen the movie about the beautiful model who's just distressed, so she just chooses not to eat, and it's like mm -hmm. this whole thing. And it's not always like that. Like, it's mm. not a lifestyle choice. Like, this is an actual... Mm really serious disorder so like I feel like media really adds to like just some not true stuff about it and even just like long-held beliefs like oh you're just doing this to get attention or oh you're just like hungry or gluttonous or something like that which is just so not true mm -hmm. um so yeah we just really want to address some of those and break those ugly stereotypes so a little bit of a disclaimer so I know that for some people walking through eating disorder treatment talking in detail about eating disorders can be a trigger for you. Mm -hmm. So if that is something that you struggle with, we give you 110% <laughs> permission to turn off this episode right now, listen to the next one, yeah. and just yeah. get some space because this might not be the episode for you. Grace, I know that we have some statistics that kind of give a good uh, 30,000 foot view of eating disorders. So do you want to share some of those? Mm -hmm. Yeah, some of these stats. Um, so less than 6% of people struggling with an eating disorder are medically diagnosed as underweight. Almost. That one actually surprises me. Yeah. I always I thought that would be a lot well. higher. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's then some of the misconceptions mm -hmm. that can be there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Almost 26% of people with eating disorders attempt suicide. That one was hard to mm. read. That's definitely a scary number. Mm -hmm. And that can easily prove that it's not... Um, a lifestyle choice. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I was like, what were you saying, Candace? Yeah, it's not a lifestyle choice. It's mm. a disease or a disorder. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Eating disorders are among the deadliest mental illnesses, second to opio opioid overdose. Overdose. Wow. Overdose. Overdose. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I just, be did I become New York or Jersey? I don't know. <laughs> Neither. Oh, is that? oh Neither. darn it. <laughs> But that's also, like, super wild. Like, we all know about, or at least a lot of us know about opioid over... <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm trying to say it very carefully. A lot of us know about that sort of yeah. overdose, like, takes millions of lives every year. But, like, we don't hear about how many lives eating disorders mm -hmm. claim. I can only imagine the numbers have increased. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in the but, last two, three years. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I hadn't even... Yeah, yeah. past two, Ugh. three years. Yeah. Um, and that this other one I think is really important is people of color are less likely to be diagnosed but are 50% likely to exhibit bulimic behavior. So they're not getting diagnosed, Ooh. but they have the behavior and the patterns. And, like, yeah, mm. I think that's important to acknowledge. I think so. And I feel like the increase in likelihood to um, exhibit the behavior might be because of being less likely to be, like, diagnosed or treated from it. Because, like, yeah. you can't recover if you're not treated. Yeah. So, yeah. That's a good point. That's good. Yeah. So there are just some um, stats and facts for you just so you can get a scope. Mm-hmm. Um, Wendy, walk us through what it looks like. Yeah. I'm going to define a few different uh, types of eating disorders, what they are, give you a little bit of a rundown. Um, there's three common ones, and then there's three other ones that I'm just going to mention, and if you want to do some more research into those, you may. Um, the first more common one being anorexia nervosa, and that one is when eating is restricted or you all out avoid food. Um, it also comes with repeated weighing, could be multiple times a day, checking weight, needing to see the weight drop. It can also come with a binge purge type where they may avoid food for a period, then binge food and purge it using laxatives. Um, so eat a ton of food, <laughs> eat so much, and then purge it out. And that can also be like with vomiting and just like basically mm -hmm. any way to like just mm -hmm. get that out. Mm -hmm. yeah. Anorexia comes with an intense fear of gaining weight and a distorted body image. How often do we see body dysmorphic disorder? diagnosed with anorexia do you guys know oh it's highly comorbid yeah, yeah i i, I don't so. know the numbers so like i don't i don't want to give a number sure sure but i know that it's highly comorbid yeah. comorbid mm -hmm. meaning just they go hand in hand yeah, yeah. i hate that word comorbid, comorbid. oh it makes me morbid. Like you're dead. morbid is oh, like really? death yeah, yeah. If, for me i always got a lot of respect for my professors when i would use that word so oh, really? morbidity yeah so i feel like it makes me sound really academic <laughs> it is like it is like a smart sounding it's word it's a very it's academic like, it's word. a very morbid research part, word like but it. it also sounds like a bummer so um, well i mean if yeah. you have one mental illness and another mental illness going hand in hand that is a bummer that's true it right, is a bummer anyway right. yeah um, so BDD, body dysmorphic disorder, is um, an unrealistic view of your body, mm -hmm. seeing yourself either in the mirror or just looking at yourself as much larger than what you actually are. Mm -hmm. Well, and also it's um, uh, an intense discomfort with your yeah. body, too. Like, you focus on it, fixated on your body. You yeah. look at your arms. I know I've talked to guys where, like, they're so focused on what, like, their muscle looks, mm -hmm. muscle mm -hmm. um, dimensions look like. Mm -hmm. and. Yeah, there's a lot of focus on it, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Some severe physical symptoms of anorexia include brittle hair and nails, jaundice, osteoporosis, and organ failure. Simply because your body is not getting the nutrients. Nutrition. Nutrients. Words are hard. My word. Nutrition that it needs. Therefore, your body just starts shutting down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The second most or more common um, eating disorder is bulimia nervosa. Bulimia, for short. That is the eating and purging um, cycle of eating disorder. Episodes of eating large amounts of food and then compensating by purging. So that could be vomiting, using laxatives. You may feel out of control during these episodes. Um, the purging can also look like fasting, exercising, or a combination of any of those. Mm-hmm. Specific symptoms depend on how you purge. Almost across the board, intestinal distress is likely. Um, when laxatives are used, in the case of vomiting, you may experience like sore throat, um, tooth decay mm-hmm. is one that they see a lot just from the <coughs> stomach bile and the acid mm-hmm. constantly in your mouth. Other symptoms being like brittle hair, nails, jaundice, osteoporosis, like with um, anorexia because of the lack of nutrients. The third one, the third eating disorder, is on kind of swings on the other side of the pendulum, maybe, um, being the binge eating disorder, overeating, past hunger, sometimes to discomfort. Marked by recurrent episodes of eating large amounts of food until uncomfortably full. Feeling out of control of your food intake. But this is different than bulimia because it is not followed by purging episodes. So bulimia, there's a huge intake of food to the point of being uncomfortable and then the purging of that food. Um, The binge eating disorder is, there's no purging. It's just the intake to feeling very uncomfortable. Also marked by hiding food or eating in secret due to feelings of shame. Binge periods happen quickly over the course of two hours. So that's a little bit of a quick rundown of the three of anorexia, bulimia, and the binge eating disorder. Um, I'm gonna mention the three other ones that we wanna throw out there and you can do research on your own. PICA is one, rumination disorder is a second, and then avoidant restrictive food intake disorder is the third. Candice, Go into a little more of like how an eating disorder happens. How does someone develop it or um, how does it come about? Yeah, so kind of like everything that we talk about here, there's no like one factor or one thing that causes an eating disorder. And especially like there's so many different types, like there's no way to just pin it down to one thing. Mm -hmm. Um, There are lots of like genetic, environmental, and like sociological, sociological words. (laughs) Words. factors that contribute um to eating disorder development so like i feel like there's the old conversation of nature versus nurture Mm -hmm. like so nature would be more like of that genetic side like maybe there's like one of your parents or even like a sibling Mm -hmm. struggles with an eating disorder so you might be more likely to struggle with it i actually saw stats on that and i think it's like high mm-hmm. i think it's like 50 to 70 yeah. like it's pretty high wow. um but yeah. then it's also your nurture too mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you grow up around it so right. that's like i don't know or there could be there. a similar um trauma factor or mm-hmm. or lifestyle like we mentioned dancing yeah. before we started recording so maybe if it's a dance family or something that's yeah or even like wrestlers like mm-hmm. those mm-hmm. those sports or activities where like the size of your body really matters like well with wrestlers you're getting weighed like what daily or weekly you're getting weighed a lot probably like a, lot. Yeah. a ton yeah, yeah. And i would imagine that's hard to not get in your mind mm-hmm. yeah but yeah yeah i don't think so yeah um 
so yeah so that's kind of like a little bit of like kind of where it can come from and like while you like can't eliminate any other factors trauma is a large contributor to eating disorders as well so this can be emotional physical spiritual or attachment trauma i feel like what we see a lot is sexual trauma as well Mm -hmm. as a contributor to like eating disorders developing so like traumas can contribute to like perfectionism and low self-worth and distorted body image and even impulsivity that we see in a lot of eating disorders so like all of this kind of comes together and reinforces disordered eating patterns which is yeah i hope that makes sense to everyone Mm -hmm. that's just like yeah a piece of it Another thing I've seen with sexual trauma is um, sexual abuse takes away any control that the victim has. Yeah. And so they're seeking some sort of control in their lives. And eating is the one thing that they are in absolute full control of. Mm -hmm. Like, no one can actually force you to chew and swallow food until you get a uh, um, feeding tube. Yeah. But that is the one thing that you have ultimate, complete control of. So when control has been stripped from someone who's experienced trauma and abuse that's the one thing they can say you know what like subconsciously it's not a conscious choice right. like i can't control anything so i'm going to control my food you right know? Yeah. it's, it's a subconscious conscious, yeah um but that idea of like now i can say that i'm not going to eat this and i am in control of what mm-hmm. i eat or what i don't eat i think it's more of like a feeling of wanting to have some control yeah. um rather than yeah. like a logical choice yes. yeah yes mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we all gravitate towards that in some way or some form. Right? And we need to have control. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. we need, everyone needs to have control in their lives mm-hmm. to some extent. Mm-hmm. Like a sense of agency. And a, and a healthy, like a healthy control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A Absolutely. Um, one thing I think was mm-hmm. kind of listed as far as like the many factors, but like um, just saying specifically, I know, and we said this earlier, but there can be other disorders at play. Like there could be a pre-existing disorder at play. I know a lot of times there's um, OCD or generalized anxiety or um, I'm trying to think of some other disorders that can go hand in hand with an eating disorder. We mentioned mm-hmm. body dysmorphic disorder. Depression. Depression. Yeah. Yeah. So like that can also be there too. There can be another pre-existing disorder and it can be kind of like a locked and loaded gun a little bit yeah. and something just, you know, snags the trigger. Grace, while you're on that topic mm-hmm. then, what all is going on in the brain with eating disorders? I would like to reiterate that this isn't a conscious choice, as I'm mm-hmm. saying this. Oh, yeah. Um, it's all the subconscious mm-hmm. underneath the surface. Mm-hmm. Like and by talking about what's going on in the brain, it's to create understanding and not shame. Because a lot of times we need to understand what's going on mm-hmm. so that we can break free from stuff Absolutely. or have compassion for people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, So eating disorder behaviors alter the brain's reward response process and food intake control circuitry. So that's very similar to um, if you listen to our addiction episode, um, it's almost exactly like the neurobiology of addiction in the brain. So which then can reinforce the beliefs, feelings, and patterns aimed at providing relief. So if we were to put it in terms of the cycle that is happening, there's an intrusive thought or an anxious feeling or like your body's feeling a certain way, um, body sensations, and it's very overwhelming. So the thought could sound like I won't be loved or feelings of being disgusting. That's, that's the intrusive thought that's there. The anxiety sits around um, in about food, body image, 
And then there's behavior to get rid of the anxiety or the feeling. And this is avoiding food, binging, purging, etc. Um, then there's some temporary relief, but then the cycle goes right back to the intrusive thought. Um, and what I would like to add too is like, there's some temporary relief, there's a feeling of control, there's feeling of being good enough, there's feeling of not being disgusting, and that it goes right back to the intrusive thought. And that feeling of being good enough or in control comes when they make the decision to not eat or to mm -hmm. purge. The behavior that mm -hmm. comes with fixing the, the feelings and the thoughts that they didn't like. Mm -hmm. Oh, and all centered around food or body image. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a really great picture of that cycle. I told you about it, but there's a great picture of this cycle so you can visualize that and we'll make sure to link it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Grace, you had mentioned up <clears throat> when you first started saying that, talking about this, um, the eating disorder behavior alters the brain's reward response process and food intake control circuitry. Can you explain that a little more? Well, that's specifically why I said, <laughs> if you listen to our addiction episode, so I didn't have oh, to go into okay. all of that. Okay, okay. <laughs> I wasn't here for that one, so. <laughs> I mean. Um, okay, that's fine. Basically, there's so much going on that, like, hijacks your brain with that. And okay. so, like, the reward system is getting hijacked mm -hmm. um, because you're short-circuiting it, um, in a sense. And then all of that you know, can create some dopamine, some, mm -hmm. you know, happy chemicals and, but that you're not getting those happy chemicals naturally. Mm -hmm. um, and so then it's hijacking and short circuiting your reward response. Mm -hmm. And then that reinforces the cycle that I just listed. This disorder messes up your thought process so much that even though you know what needs to happen, the thoughts running through your head about what will happen if you do that thing, just completely overtake your mind until you do what needs to be done. So I think we just want to say that it's it's not that you don't know what's logical or rational, mm -hmm. but th there's so much happening in the brain that things get over yeah. overrided. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's almost like an obsessive compulsive mm -hmm. type of yeah. experience. Mm -hmm. Logically, someone with an eating disorder knows that they need food to survive. Mm -hmm. Right. And they wouldn't argue that you can <laughs> survive without eating the unhealthy part takes over. Right? Just yeah. what's going on in your brain, like, you know, all these things being hijacked in your brain mm -hmm. and getting overrided. Yeah. yeah. So I really appreciate that you kind of went into that, Grace, just like pointing out how like the brain's kind of doing its own thing in here. Like there mm. isn't a ton of logic mm -hmm. and they know that. Yeah. And um, so we talk about like the church and like how the church responds to things a lot here. And I feel like that's something that the church can miss sometimes, like among other things. So mm. what are some truths that the church should be aware of when it comes to eating disorders? Well, I think the first one is that I mean, this is for everyone, but especially the church too, but many people with eating disorders look great and healthy, but may be severely suffering with mental health and illness. Mm -hmm. So weight is not the only critical mm -hmm. factor for suffering with an eating disorder. And yeah. that obviously with media and I think other stigmas, that's what gets focused on so much is weight. The appearance mm -hmm. and the number. Right. And that reflects a stat of less than 6% of people struggling are medically diagnosed mm -hmm. with underweight. So, like, yeah. that's not the only factor. That's not the only thing. You can look yeah, at. yeah, it's a big um, stigma that can be there. Yeah. I know, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the second one, which I think we're all really passionate about, um, but I just, I feel this in my bones as I'm saying <laughs> it, but eating disorders are not choices. Mm -hmm. With any struggle, it's not just a matter of willpower. Mm-hmm. 
And also, it's not due to a lack of faith or obedience to God. Ooh, say it again for the kids in the back. <laughs> it is not due to a lack of faith or obedience to God. Oh, so true. So if you're going to hit them with a verse about what they need to be doing more or telling them how they need to be praying more, it is going to be so fruitless. I think the picture is that, like, no amount of people telling you you're fine, don't be worried, yeah. don't be anxious yeah. when you're, like, three to four feet away from the cliff yeah. mm-hmm. is going to help you. I think we have to consider that when that is being said, when all those things that are true, like, prayer is good, mm-hmm. it's not bad. Mm-hmm. Um, reading scripture is good, it's not bad. But when all those things are said as a means to to your treatment and recovery, um, I think what we have to consider is that you are spiritually bypassing how someone actually gets emotionally healthy and recovered. And God has put people in place and treatments in place that work for the disorders we talk about. We don't talk about these things because there isn't hope. We talk about things because there's understanding and there is hope. Yeah. And God has put brilliant men and women in place to create those treatments and interventions. There you go. Um, well, Candace, can you tell us a little bit more about what the truth needs? Uh, <laughs> about what the truth needs to be <laughs> in the church. The church. <laughs> yeah. Hey, there you go. Actually, that really works. Um, some of the things that the church needs to know. Yeah, I mean, I feel like something would be really beneficial for the church to keep in mind is that eating disorders don't discriminate. Like, it's not just like teenage girls in high school. Ooh. Like, that's not the only thing. Like your pastor could be struggling with mm-hmm. an eating disorder right now and you mm-hmm. you might not be the wiser like there's there's no script for it there is no one type of person that can experience it so be careful not to look at one someone just be like oh they're fine they've got it all together look at them they look so great like you never they know don't have an eating disorder. they have nothing like you and not even just eating disorders like mm. you never know what someone is going yeah. through they like yeah. they look great and perfect but who knows what's going on on the inside? Don't judge a book by its cover. Another great thing to keep in mind, I think, is to be careful what you say. And that kind of goes along with, like, don't focus on how someone looks. Like, I mm-hmm. feel like people can, I don't know, just say flippant things, just say stuff just because. But, like, don't make jokes about eating disorders mm-hmm. ever. Don't make oh. jokes about... um even like binging, don't make jokes about purging, don't make jokes about any of that. You never know who you're talking to. Also, it's rude anyway. Yeah. So, well, even like adding on to that, I think, I think we, and we didn't say this earlier, but I think we were getting at this with like environment and culture, but we live in America in a diet focused culture. Mm -hmm. There's diet fads, there's, you know, trends with diets and there's all this focus on diets. And I think, what can happen is that we're all kind of talking about it out loud. We're like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm, I'm choosing not to eat this or I'm not doing that. Or if I eat this, I'm going to go work out tomorrow. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and actually, like, you may have some of these anxieties yourself. You may not have a full-blown disorder, but that's why you're maybe, you know, impulsively saying these things out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we have to be mindful of who's around us. Right. And I've I've gotten into that. Like, I have to apologize for things that I've said Mm -hmm. out loud, like, yeah, I'm choosing to eat this because I want to be healthy or like, you know, and that may be true for me, but I need to be mindful of who's around me and like Mm -hmm. how it impacts them. And Mm -hmm. um, I think we all have to take like a mindful moment of like just being careful about what we say 
And why are we saying those things? Why are we driven to say these things about justifying what we're eating or rationalizing what we're eating or um, creating a great like excuse for eating this like if I'm going to go bike 10 miles tomorrow you know like be mindful about why you're saying what you're saying about food and who you're saying it around or even just commenting about weight like don't don't Mm -hmm. comment on people's weight even to someone else Mm -hmm. um even saying like, oh, did so-and-so lose weight or did Mm -hmm. they you know there or asking or telling the person themselves like Oh, you look like you've lost weight. <laughs> it's also good to be aware of commenting on people's weight. Mm-hmm. Um, telling someone that you can see that they've lost weight. If you don't have a good, close, personal relationship with that person and know their weight journey or their eating journey, um, don't even go there. Because what if they are losing weight out of an eating disorder mm-hmm. and you commenting on it as a positive thing? That'll reinforce in their head that, like, good, if I continue restricting my food, people will start noticing, and it reinforces the very unhealthy Mm -hmm. in their head. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I wouldn't say that I have an eating disorder, but I definitely have grown up with a very unhealthy relationship to food, Mm -hmm. and, like, there's, you know, some generational things there. There's some um, trauma contributors there, Mm -hmm. and I've definitely had so much, like, weight fluctuation in my life Mm -hmm. where I've, like, gone up, and then I've lost a lot of weight, and, like, um, and I wouldn't consider it to the point of disorder, but I can, like, very much relate to some of these things, and when people either comment about my weight positively or negatively, it can, it can alter some things in my mindset. Mm. Um, but then there are the people who like, I know, and they know me really well. And I know there's like mutual respect and love. Mm. And the way they go about commenting on it is more helpful than it is like, um, negative. Mm -hmm. So I say that as a caveat, um, it's probably the air better on the side of just not saying it Mm -hmm. that's probably a good rule of thumb but there are people in my life who have um noticed maybe some things and it it wasn't negative so Mm -hmm. i say that because it is a little nuanced it's not depends on who you're talking to it it is it does depend it is situational but i think it's going to be more helpful to not comment not Mm -hmm. say things what we want to give you guys is some treatment um options some support um just um things you guys can do to support those you know the those you love and some resources Mm -hmm. some treatments are and i'm going to list the types of therapies guys don't feel like you have to know them or be like like researching them if you want to that's great we'll Mm -hmm. put a link in Uh, but i think it's just helpful to put this out there um there's cbt which is cognitive behavioral therapy that one's okay but it's not everything Um, There's interpersonal therapy, which is just um, thinking about your internal thoughts, feelings, and the roles that you have in life. Um, There's family-based therapy because this can be an outcome Mm -hmm. of uh, family environments, um, Mm -hmm. and that can be really helpful to do. There's actually really good research out there for Mm family-based therapy making Mm -hmm. a lasting difference. Absolutely. I think the environment that someone's in. Anything that has maybe a cycle of addictive patterns and behaviors, it's really helpful to have family involved because Mm -hmm. a lot of times there's family environment that needs to be changed too, like what you guys were saying. There's dialectical behavioral therapy. That's just a really big emotional regulation therapy, which is really great. 
-hmm. There's exposure response prevention therapy. That is one that personally I use a lot for myself with obsessive compulsive Mm -hmm. um, patterns and tendencies. And that is essentially just exposure therapy. Um, Mm -hmm. And then there's acceptance and commitment therapy. So accepting what you can't control, Mm. what you can control, and committing to those things. Mm -hmm. And if I may, I would say like, in my cases of eating disorders, I've never just used one type of therapy that like doesn't work super great. Like if you are looking for a therapist that like can work with eating disorders, I would recommend finding an eclectic one, someone Mm -hmm. who can like kind of do a little bit of everything, like exposure, response, prevention, that fun thing, that's super important, but like DBT is also really important Mm -hmm. with this, Mm -hmm. plus family therapy. So like find someone who can kind of work in a couple different modalities. Yeah, that's the best part about like being trained eclectically Mm -hmm. is that you have a good foundation in these things. And so then for those who are listening, for a family member or a loved one or for yourself, like Candace is saying, I think having someone who can do a bunch of different ones of these modalities, basically so it fits you yeah. the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm also going to throw trauma therapy in there, right. <laughs> getting to the root, yeah. um, which EMDR is a great mm. therapy, which, um, hello, Grace <laughs> Martin. <laughs> Shout out. We haven't even talked about this yet. Yeah. Just completed the first phase of her EMDR training. Yeah. Congratulations. We'll so talk more about what it is, what it stands for, and all yeah. that jazz, but it's a good trauma we'll therapy. We'll have, have like a whole five sessions on EMDR. <laughs> um, but so often, the eating disorder is fueled by or stems from a significant, significant trauma. trauma, and mm-hmm. if that trauma is left undone, mm-hmm. a lot of just trying to treat the eating disorder will be fruitless. So. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you grace for some EMDR. I'm still learning. <laughs> I have had some success and some mm-hmm. not so success. I won't call it failure. Mm-hmm. No, some less success. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, so those are some of the types of therapies. Take it or leave it. Like, it, there's a whole lot of like fancy jargon words or whatever. But mm-hmm. I think it's important to at least have some understanding of what you might be getting into. Yeah. yeah. Um, as far as some of the supports. And some resources. And resources. Yeah. Uh, the book Breaking Free from Body Shame by Jess Conley, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, is a good one. That's not an eating disorder s- s- specific book, but yeah. it's about body shame and um, being okay with your body, I guess. Yeah. Right? I think any shame that you feel about your body or shame about what you put in your body or don't put in your body. Mm-hmm. Or, I think some of like the heart and the the, I guess, motivation, I don't like that word motivation, Mm. behind maybe an eating disorder or body dysmorphic disorder. Mm -hmm. This book is just really good, I think, for more of those emotional things to process. Um, Again, it's not a choice, but there is a lot of emotional wounding here. Mm -hmm. And I think um, reading this book can just be really liberating. Personally, I read the book and it was so liberating to read this. Mm-hmm. Um, That's awesome. And she has such great perspective. And and she's a Christian author, so like she, it's all focused on um, where your identity really comes from and, and who calls you good, mm-hmm. regardless of what you do or don't do. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's really good. There's two Instagram pages or um, account. What do you call it? Instagram? Instagram accounts. Accounts, okay. Millie's recovery journey is a very open, honest, raw mm-hmm. depiction of an eating disorder. 
And then also Jennifer Rollin. Yeah, I think it's R- Rollin. R-O-L-L-I-N. Um, is another good Instagram account to follow. She's a licensed clinical social worker that specializes with working with eating disorders. Mm-hmm. She posts a lot of great content. So a little bit for you support people out there. Someone who may be walking alongside someone with an eating disorder. You are necessary. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Support people are so necessary oh, in yeah. someone's journey with an eating disorder. For you, you need to have boundaries. You need to remember what your boundaries are as in any sort of support role, whether it's eating disorder, addiction, depression, anxiety, whatever, know your boundaries. But um, also remember that you are there to help them too. So find that balance. Candace, I want to ask you, how can you be a good accountability or support person to someone who is struggling? Hmm. I feel like, first of all, it kind of depends on the person and your relationship with the person. So kind of with that, you have to almost work with them on what would be a good way to mm. support them. So that might be like just being like, hey, what what is hard for you? What's the struggle? Like what questions would be helpful um, for you to ask? You can even like reach out to a therapist that you trust and just like ask them mm-hmm. for their um, thoughts on it. So that might be a good place to start. I think consistency is probably like a really big deal with it as well. Like don't just ask once, how you doing? Good? Awesome. And then never ask again, like consistently like checking in, asking how they're doing or like even just like the question of how would I know that you're not doing well would Mm. be good. That way you're not like on like their doorstep watching them every day. Like (laughs) you kind of know like, okay, you haven't been hanging out as much. That might be a sign that you're not doing well Mm -hmm. or like, yeah. Yeah. I would also say if you can, if, if the person you are supporting is okay with it and they sign a release for you to talk to their therapist, that can be a Mm -hmm. huge help because as therapists, we see them once, maybe once a week, you know, once every two weeks something like that. Yeah. And you as a support person are there on a more consistent basis. Mm -hmm. So if you can join forces with the therapist and the therapist can kind of help you know what you talk, what they talked about in sessions and you can kind of follow up with that and you can kind of be together forming a team supporting this person rather than like, Therapist going one way, support person going another, and yeah, and it's always best supported if we can person work in together. Oh my gosh, being on the same page with their family or their support people is so much yeah. better because it's. Think so. I think it's tapping into like a strength based um, mm-hmm. process. Like, what are the strengths here? What are the needs here? How do yeah. we get everyone to collaborate? And everyone also knows it's not he said, she said, yeah. you said, this said. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, everyone knows. Yeah. So if they're okay with that, I I love when my clients have their support people get informed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that would look like you encouraging the supported person to ask their therapist to sign a release of information with their therapist um, for the therapist to talk to you. Or you could, this might not work as well, but you could email their therapist personally and say, I know your client so-and-so. Um, would you be okay talking to them about a release of information? The therapist will not give you any information back. (laughs) They Mm -hmm. won't, until they have that, they can't talk and say anything back. But that is something that you could do. I mean, I would probably go with the latter first, kind of like what Wendy was saying, like maybe like talk to your person first. The former first. The former. Sorry, what did I say? The latter. I don't know what I'm talking about. (laughs) The former. Yeah, that would definitely (laughs) be the first one. The first one that Wendy said is probably the best idea. Talk to the supported person. Yes. And have them sign a release with their therapist for therapists to talk to the support person. 
So have yes. have your client yeah. talk to their support people and then have them, yeah. you know, get well, then involved the in the process. So now I'm even confused. Okay. So if, okay, so if I had an eating disorder and Wendy was my support person and Grace was my therapist, mm -hmm. Wendy would ask me to ask Grace yeah. to do a release yeah. schnozzle with me mm -hmm. so that grace can talk to wendy yeah and that's what we're trying to say yeah <laughs> visuals are so much better I'm like yeah. i wish i had a whiteboard to draw yeah. this um but yeah i think it has to, i i feel better about it coming from the client because yes definitely because then they have a sense of like agency and autonomy about yeah. it candace one more question what's a, the best way to approach someone that you think might have an eating disorder <laughs> I feel like that's a tough one that because, tough. like, yeah. it could be your sister. It also could be a distant coworker who you don't mm. really know so well. So mm. it really depends on your relationship yeah. with the person. Gently and respectfully is mm -hmm. the answer no matter what. Mm -hmm. um, but, like... <sighs> that is tough. Yeah, it's just a really hard question to answer i think it really depends on how close you are with the person mm -hmm. in the end yeah is that something that you could say like hey i've i've been noticing certain things and i just want to make sure you're doing okay can we talk like like if you have a, de a decent relationship with them yeah if you have a decent like relationship a close friend or a, a family member like yeah would that be a good way or is there a better way to uh, no to i think it? that would be a really good place to to start just okay. like Hey, I noticed some stuff or just like something just seems like just not the same about you. I want to check in mm -hmm. if you're all right. But like also, man, you're going to have to respect their answer yeah. as well because nobody's doing nothing that they don't yeah. want to do. So Absolutely. like mm -hmm. there could legitimately be a problem, but like something that we kind of have to wrap our minds around very, very quickly as counselors is like, you really, you can't be a dancing bear. Like, you can't work harder than the person that you're trying to help. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Or respecting their answer. If they say, no, everything's fine, mm -hmm. respect mm -hmm. that answer. Yeah. Because you also just don't want to take it personally that you're like, I yeah. see this. Why aren't you being honest about it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But also, you may be wrong, right? Like, you yeah. may be wrong. And it's not... I don't know. You just need to respect their answer. Yeah. Um, I think it would be, if you have legitimate concerns um, with someone who's close to you, again, we're not really talking about, like, a coworker that you yeah. don't really talk too much, but with someone who's fairly close to you, I think it would be a good idea to bring it up carefully, gently, but, but honestly, like, mm -hmm. you know, I am concerned. Is everything okay? And then, yeah, if they reply with, like, nope, we're great, everything's good, Okay, and okay. take a step back and, and respect that. Mm -hmm. And um, and you can even say, like, if you'd ever have anything going yes. on about this or anything, yes. I'd love to talk to you. Yeah, yeah. you're and here please for Please feel yeah. welcome to come talk to me or whatever. Yeah. Awesome. Any other ways, good ways off the top of your head or grace that um, mm -hmm. a support person could be there for and, and then help someone who's struggling i think the first thing that comes to the top of my head is just one recognize for yourself you're not going to do this perfectly mm -hmm. i think that's yeah. what you're kind of getting at with boundaries too mm -hmm. um but to remind yourself that you're a human trying to help another human you are not god yes. um and so you're not going to do this perfectly and you're going to mess up and you could probably even tell the person you care about or love that 
hey, I want to do this well, but I may mess up or I may say the wrong thing yeah. or I may not respond the way that would be helpful for you. Um, and I'm really sorry. And I want you to tell me about those times. Like, mm -hmm. just open and honest communication, I yeah, think. And just, just intentional. Authentic. Yeah. yeah, authentic communication. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Authenticity and honesty is usually the best policy. <laughs> <laughs> Brene Brown says it's amazing. So if y'all so love Brene Brown, then if trust she us. Says it's true. <laughs> uh, I think Jesus said it first or God said it first, but you know, Brene. Well, then she got it from the source. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, this is good. Thank yeah. you, Grace and Candace. Um, and I hope you guys. Learn something about eating disorders. I hope you, this helped you be more aware um, and more educated about it. And then hopefully gave you some tools that if you have someone in your life struggling with it, gave you some tools and ideas on how to help them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Support them. Yeah. And if you have any questions um, or if you have any thoughts, feel free to email us or DM us. Um, the whole mind podcast at gmail.com or the whole mind podcast on Instagram. Mm hmm. We will talk to you guys soon. Yeah. Bye. -bye. Bye.